Please take your Bibles and open to Matthew chapter 1. We'll be looking there at verses 18 through 25 again. Um, For those that have tracked with us the last few weeks, we are now on our third Sunday of Advent, and we've been focusing on four simple truths. So if you're good at math, we're on number three. There is one left next Sunday. And so we've been looking at four simple Advent truths that will hopefully, hopefully shape your experience of Advent as a family or as an individual as you walk through this season together. Now, the first truth we looked at was that God speaks to his people. This is from the beginning of Genesis to the end. God made us in a relate, to be in a relationship with him where we fellowship with him and communicate with him. God speaks to his people. And then truth two, God comes to his people. That God searches for his people and comes to them in a, in a relationship with them. And then truth three, today's truth, God saves his people. And then next week, we will look at God reigns over his people. So God speaks, God comes, God saves, and God reigns over his people. Now, the fullest expression of all of those, find, find, the, the, we find the fullest expression of those four truths in Christ himself, that God speaks to his people through Jesus. We saw that from Hebrews chapter 1. God comes to his people through Jesus. That's why he's called Emmanuel, God with us. And today, God saves his people through Jesus. And then God reigns over his people through Jesus. Now, this morning, again, focusing on the truth that God saves his people through Jesus. Now, this is the center of the Advent message. This is the central truth of the Advent message. For hundreds of years in the Old Testament, God's people have been waiting on a promised Messiah. They had been longing for Him and expecting Him to come. That's what Advent, that's what we're entering into in Advent, this longing for a Savior, expecting Him to return. Now, so they've been longing for this Messiah to come, and just as they had longed for a deliverer in Egypt, God provided that deliverer in Moses. And just as they longed to be delivered from the Philistines during the time of the kings, David was that deliverer. And when they went into exile in Babylon, they awaited God's deliverer. But it was during that time that God prophesied through Isaiah and other prophets like Jeremiah that There would be a virgin who would conceive and bear a son, and he would be called Emmanuel, and he would deliver his people, hear me, he would deliver his people not just from their political oppressors, but he would come and deliver them from their sins. And that is the central truth of Advent, that Jesus comes to save his people from their sins. Now, as we think about Advent together, This is the truth I want to press home today. So if you want to write something down, write this down. Here's the truth. I'll say it twice. The more you know and feel your need of a Savior, the more precious and sweet the coming of Jesus will be to your soul. I want you to think about that deeply today. The more you know and feel your own need of a Savior, the more precious and sweet the coming of Jesus will be to your soul. Now, the opposite is also true. 
the less you know and understand your sinful condition before God, the less meaning and significance Jesus will have. That's just the truth of it. So Advent is treasured by every longing heart that prepares Him room. That's what Advent is about. Us entering into this, looking at our own souls and saying, Lord Jesus, I want to long for You because I know my need. I know my need. So, look at, look at um, uh, Matthew chapter 1, beginning in verses 18, even though our main text will be verse 21. He says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. I want to give you three truths this morning as we study this together. Here's the first truth. The first truth that I want you to see is the universal need of a Savior. The universal need of a Savior. Now, the underlying truth of Advent, as we celebrate with joy and expectation and longing and all of the wonderful tinsel and lights, the underlying truth of Advent, though, is the horror of our sinfulness and rebellion. The horror of our sinfulness and rebellion. And this goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden in Genesis. If you remember, we've studied this two weeks in a row. God created man and woman in His image to be in a perfect, loving, covenantal relationship with Him. They were to be in a perfect relationship with God, a perfect relationship with each other, and a perfect relationship in creation. And the story of Genesis tells the tale of Adam and Eve walking with God day by day in a perfect relationship. But everything changed in Genesis 3. Everything changed when they were deceived by the serpent, took the forbidden fruit, and had their relationship destroyed. Their relationship with God, with each other in creation, all destroyed. And now, because of that, due to that rebellion, all of us now live with the consequences and brokenness of sin. And they are universal. There are universal effects of the sin, of the fall and of sin, and there are, there are three that I want to discuss from Genesis. There are many more throughout the scriptures, but three evidences or three, basically three universal effects of sin. Here's the first one. Sin brings spiritual death and separation from God. In Genesis chapter 3, you see that God told Adam and Eve, he said this in, verse, in verse chapter 2, verse 17. He says, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. Spiritual death. Not just physical death, spiritual death. The effects of sin entering in our world is spiritual death, which is separation 
from God. Ephesians 2, 1 says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sin. Romans 3, 23 says, the wages of sin is death. That's what our sin earns. But it's also separation. Isaiah 59, 2 says, but your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you that he does not hear. That's the effect of sin in all of our lives. It brings spiritual death and separation from God. God is holy, we are sinful, and our relationship with Him has been broken. That is a universal human situation. Sin not only brings spiritual death and separation from God, but in Genesis we also find that sin brings guilt, shame, fear, and blame shifting. All four of those things come into our existence due to sin. Listen to what happens in Genesis 3, verses 7 through 12. After they eat the fruit, it says, Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees. Then the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit, and I ate. Do you see that unfolding? Do you see it unfolding? They have... Guilt, shame, fear, and blame shifting. This was the first, they had never experienced these feelings before. They had guilt instead of peace. They had shame instead of innocence. Fear instead of trust. And they had blame instead of responsibility. That's what sin brings into all of our lives and we know it. We will be quick to feel guilt, to feel shame, to try to cover it up, to try to push it out. We will try to hide ourselves from God and from others due to our sin. And we will, at the drop of a hat, instead of taking accountability and responsibility, blame others for the choices that we ourselves have made. That's what sin does. But sin, lastly and horridly, sin also brings God's curse. This is what it says in Genesis 3, 17 through 19. It says, and, Adam, and, and, and to Adam, God said, because you've listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten the tree of which I commanded you, shall, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because, because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face shall you eat bread till you return to the ground For out of it where you were taken, for you were dust, and to dust you shall return. This is the curse of God due to sin. Hear me. Adam and Eve had only lived under God's rule and blessing. That's all they had known. All they had known was God's favor and God's blessing. And now due to their sin, they will be exiled from the garden and live now under the rule of sin exchanging the rule of God for the rule of self and the rule of sin. Instead of God's blessing and favor, they are now under God's curse. They are now under God's wrath and condemnation. 
This shows the universal need of a Savior. All of us are sinners. All of us are guilty due not only to Adam's sin, but to our own sin. There is not a single person on earth who is not in need of a Savior due to sin. In today's world of identity politics, the Bible places all of humanity into one category. Sinners in need of a Savior. That is who we are. Paul says in Romans 3.10, there is none righteous, no, not one. Paul says in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And Paul in Romans 5 sums it up this way. He says, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all have sinned, the one trespass led to the condemnation of all men. So think about this. According to Paul, we are all universally sinners in need, of, in need of a Savior who only deserve death and condemnation. So here's my question. Do you feel the weight of condemnation because of your sin? Do you feel and know the weight of your sin? Because the more you know and feel your need of a Savior, the more precious and sweet the coming of Jesus will be to your soul. But there's a second truth. Notice in our text in verse 21, the universal name by which we must be saved. You have the universal need of a Savior, and then you have the universal name whereby we must be saved. Look at verse 21. The angel comes and says this to Joseph. He says, you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. This is a certain name, a particular name, an exclusive name. Jesus means Yahweh saves. That's what it means. It's the Hebrew name for Joshua or Yeshua, a very common name. But this particular son of Mary named Jesus, he comes as the fulfillment of all of God's promises to save his people. What's amazing in the story of the Bible is that as soon as sin arrives on the scene in Genesis 3, no sooner has the curse of God been given than the promise of God to send a Savior. I skipped this in chapter 3 earlier, but listen to what God says in chapter 3 of Genesis, verses 14 and 15, between the fall and the curse. It says, And the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all the livestock and above all the beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. Now listen to this promise. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. So what you see here is that God is the first person in the Bible to announce the good news of the gospel to Adam and Eve, even in the midst of their sin and shame. And ever since that time in the Old Testament, God has continued to preach the gospel and foretell of the coming Savior. We see that all through the Old Testament, text after text referring to Jesus coming, one of the most famous in Isaiah 53 through 55, which says this, it says, out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied, and by his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, 
make the many to be accounted righteous. He shall bear their iniquities. And it says, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Hear me. Tune in. With every prophecy, with each prophecy in the Old Testament, all of God's people were wondering, who is this suffering servant? Who's coming to bear our iniquities? Where is he? Where is this coming deliverer? And what you see is with each prophecy, you get a new clue. He will be a prophet like Moses who will be raised up to deliver his people He will be born from the line of Judah. He will be a king from the lineage of David. He will be born in Bethlehem. And in Matthew chapter 1, all of those truths come together. And we finally know who the serpent crusher is. We finally know who this one was that was promised long ago. His name is Jesus. And he's lying in a manger. And he will save his people from their sin. He has a specific name, but he also has a sure mission. Notice what it says. You will call his name Jesus. Why? For he will save his people from their sin. He has a certain name and a sure mission. He will not fail. And all through the New Testament, what we find is that Jesus obeys the Father in all things. He keeps the law that we could never keep ourselves. And he earns the righteousness that we need. He will be the perfect spotless sacrifice of the Father on our behalf. And when John the Baptist sees Him coming, John the Baptist looks up and he says, Behold the Lamb of God, who does what? Who takes away the sin of the world. You see, every Old Testament bloody sacrifice was not able to save, but Jesus' sacrifice was accepted. How do we know that? Because God raised Him from the dead. And Jesus alone now stands as Savior. And when Peter stands up to preach in Acts chapter 4 about this certain name and this sure mission of Jesus, what does Acts Acts 4.12 say? There is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name given under heaven among men whereby we must be saved than the name of Jesus. And Jesus Himself says, I am the way and the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father but by me. It is a certain name with a sure mission. Now this might seem offensive to many people in our hyper-pluralistic society that Jesus claims to be the only way to the Father and the only means of salvation. They would say, you Christians are far too narrow-minded. But I would just say that those kind of claims don't hold up under scrutiny. Listen, if you were dying of cancer and there was only one cure Does that make the cure narrow-minded? Because there's only one? Or would you gratefully and joyfully receive that one cure? The fact is, our sinful nature would complain if God made a thousand ways. We would complain that there were not a thousand and one. The fact that God makes any way for us to be saved is incredibly gracious and as creator God is free to do as he pleases and that is the truth that has offended sinners from the garden after all in Genesis 3 what is the sin it's Adam and Eve putting themselves in the place of God think about that so here's my question do you know the name of the Savior who has come to take away your sin
Do you know His name? Because the more you feel your need of a Savior, the more precious and sweet the coming of Jesus will be to your soul. The name of Jesus will be the sweetest name that you know. There's a universal need of a Savior, and then there's the universal name by which we must be saved, and then there's the universal invitation to receive salvation. This is the best news I can give you this morning. You are a sinner in need of a Savior. The good news is, is that Jesus has come. But what good is Jesus coming if everyone is not welcome? If it's just for the elite, or just for the high and the mighty, or just for those who can get their act together, or for those that don't struggle with sin. You see, the great news of the gospel is Jesus came to save all people from their sin. Listen to Luke. Turn over to Luke chapter 2 with me, because I want to continue the Christmas story. Just flip over to Luke 2. I want you to see two glorious things here from the Christmas story, which is, which is why we can have a universal invitation. Look at two, Luke 2, verses 8 through 11. It's the story of the shepherds. Listen, it says in verse, verse, verses 8 through 11, it says, And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And look what the angel says. Fear not, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Now skip down in chapter 2 to the story of Simeon in verses 25. Look at chapter 2, verses 25 and following. After Jesus is presented in the temple, it says there, Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. He's been waiting for the Messiah because he knows that he has a universal need for a Savior. And he's wondering who this Savior is. And it says, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for them according to the custom of the law, he took him in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord... Now are you letting your servant depart in peace according to your word? For my eyes have seen your salvation. Look at this. That you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. I bring you good news of great joy. That will be for all the people. I bring you Jesus here into the temple. Who is, that you have prepared a savior among all people. So Jesus comes, hear me. Jesus comes not Jesus comes as the savior of the world, not just the savior of the Jews, not just the savior of Middle Easterners or of Americans or of Africans or of Asians. Jesus universally welcomes all who come to him. It has nothing to do with your race or your ethnicity or your socioeconomic status or your education or your history or your political views. Jesus is the universal Savior and His invitation is open to all. If you come to Him in repentance and faith, He will receive you. See, we have a universal need for a Savior 
And Jesus is the Savior of the world, and He is offering a universal invitation. So how do you respond? How do you respond to Jesus? If you were in this room, in a room this big, not everyone in here is a believer. That's the truth of the matter. Not everyone in here has come to Jesus and had their sins forgiven. And when, they go, when you go to sleep at night, you know that. You know that you do not have peace with God. You know that you are not walking in a loving faith relationship with Christ. Well, let me tell you how you respond. This is what Romans 10, 9 through 15 says. He says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with the heart that one believes and is justified, and it is with the mouth that one confesses and is saved. For the Scripture says, everyone who believes in Him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew or Greek. It says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Let me tell you three very quick truths about responding to Jesus. First, Jesus is received personally. Personally by repentance and faith. What do I mean by that? No one can do this for you. Your parents can't do this for you. Your pastor can't do this for you. The Pope can't do this for you. It is personal. You must respond to Jesus. This is a decision that each person must make on their own. Jesus isn't received by committee or by church affiliation. Being in a church will no more make you a Christian than standing in a garage will make you a car. Or standing in McDonald's will make you a Big Mac. That's the old preacher joke. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that who ever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life it's personal if you've never made a personal decision for jesus then you are outside of christ second truth jesus is received at a point in time at a point in time what this means is no one oozes into a relationship with Jesus. There is a time when you were an unbeliever and then a time you become a believer. You were lost and now you were found. You were blind and now you see. You were an orphan and now you were adopted. You were separated from God and now you are reconciled to God. Now let me say, you might not remember that exact point in time, but you know there was a time when you were not following Jesus and now you are following Jesus, when you move from darkness to light, from not being a disciple to being a disciple. So if there's never a point in time you can, that you can identify in your life, then you need, you need to get that settled before Jesus. C.S. Lewis, one of my favorite people, he wrestled with becoming a Christian for years. He doesn't know the exact time, but he says, he says in his story, he says, I got on the bus in Oxford, not a believer, and I got off the bus at the zoo, a believer. Somewhere in that trip across town, I gave my heart to Jesus. It's a point in time. You need to be able to point to that. And then third, Jesus is received publicly. What do I mean by that? You might pray privately at home to receive Jesus, but that private decision must become public. It needs to become public. You must be willing to confess Jesus as your Lord. Jesus says, if you deny me before men, I will deny you before my Father in heaven. 
And that is the purpose of baptism. Let me just say this. It is to show the world that you belong to Jesus. Just like my wedding to my wife Kelly was public. Everyone could have been there and known about it. And just like my wedding ring shows that I am married, so too baptism is a public profession of faith in Jesus. And that's why we ask each person when they come into the waters of baptism to confess that Jesus is their Lord. That Jesus is their Lord. Excuse me. Just for a second. Now as I conclude this morning, when Jesus is received by repentance and faith, our sins are forgiven. That is the good news of the gospel. Jesus came to rescue us from our sin. We have peace with God. No longer condemnation. And the curse that came upon us in Genesis 3 is removed. Listen to what Revelation, how Revelation 22 ends. He says, and no longer will there be anything accursed. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it. And His servants will worship Him. They will see His face. His name will be on their foreheads and night will be no more. And they will have no need of light or lamp or sun. For the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. The great news of the gospel is that the brokenness that sin brought will be removed. That everything is restored and we are finally reconciled forever with God through Jesus. And oh, how sweet and oh, how precious is the gospel to those who know that their sin is forgiven and they know the grace of the Lord Jesus. And now, now in Christ, they long for the day when he will return and their salvation will be complete and they will be made whole on that day. And let me, set, let me end where I began. The more you know and feel your need of a Savior, the more precious and sweet the coming of Jesus will be to your soul. Sinners who are desperate. Sinners who are desperate and waiting for Jesus sing songs like this. Come thou long expected Jesus. Born to set thy people free. From, fe from our fears and sins release us. Let us find our rest in thee. Israel's strength and consolation. Hope of all the earth thou art. Dear desire of every nation. And what? Joy of every longing heart. He's only joy to those who long for their Savior. So this morning, we'll have a time of invitation after I pray, and it's very simple. If you don't know Jesus, you need to respond. Let today be the day of salvation. The greatest gift you can receive on Christmas is the gift of knowing your sins are forgiven and your eternity is sure by the certain name of Jesus who has surely come to rescue you. But you need to respond personally. You need to respond at a point in time. And you need to do it publicly and make Christ known. If you're not a believer, come to Jesus. If you are a believer, then rejoice. Feel the need of a Savior and know that your Savior has been provided. And if you're looking for a church home, we invite you to be a part of ours. Well, we are not perfect, but we know a perfect Savior. Let us pray. Father, I pray this morning that you would speak clearly to our hearts and that you would draw near to your people as we sing. Father, right now we ask that you would save those that are lost. 
that, Lord, those that are struggling with a call to ministry or missions would surrender. Father, for the rest of us, that we would rejoice in Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen.